The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Tyler's Takedowns. It's now episode nine. I am your host, Tyler Peters, and I'm just so happy that you took the time out of your busy schedule or whatever you may be doing to uh, listen to this uh, program. I want to thank you, the listeners, and SJP World Media Network for all of their support technically and editing and and making me sound good. I, I want to show my gratitude toward them over in the UK where they are based out of. But we have a lot of uh, tremendous shows over here in North America on a global scale. So how about that? Uh, Please go like and follow and subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts and Anchor now through Spotify Podcasts. Uh, From what I gather, I'm still learning. And uh, please check out the last episode. It was episode eight where I recapped WCW Halloween Havoc from the year 1993, and we are going back a little later in the decade, speaking of the 1990s, with WWF, Bad Blood in Your House from 1997, and this would be from the Kill Center, that's our venue, and the date is October the 5th of 97, St. Louis, Missouri is our destination, and there was a lot transpiring. Bad Blood introduced the first ever Hell in a Cell match. Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. HBK started this conflict along with DX. PlayStation sponsored it. Vince McMahon, Jerry the King, Lawler, and Jim Ross, good old JR, provided the commentary. Sadly, Brian Pillman passed away during this event. And it's such a shame. Brian Pillman was so innovative ahead of his time. I mean, that would be a huge understatement when referencing Brian Pillman. And I'm so happy for his son now with NXT and previously in AEW and and on the independent wrestling circuit was Brian Pillman Jr. But when getting back to his father, Brian Pillman was part of a great tag team in world championship wrestling, WCW, alongside a future Stone Cold Steve Austin that was stunning Steve Austin, and they were known as the Hollywood Blondes. We saw the matches between Pillman and Jushin Thunder Liger out of uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, the matches they were able to have, and Brian Pillman played for the Cincinnati Bengals. He was a big-time athlete, and uh, the women loved him, and, and the fans adored him, and this loose cannon persona was just so creative. And he was one of those that appeared for not only WCW, but ECW and the WWF. I know we know it today to be WWE to bring some clarity. You'll hear me use that term a lot. But getting back to bad blood in your house from 1997, I mean, it was so uh, somber that Brian Pillman would pass away as they announced it would be Vince McMahon to declare the announcement along with JR and the King on the call from the uh, broadcast positions. Our opening contest features the Nation of Domination verse or versus rather, pardon me, the Legion of Doom, LOD. Hawk addressed Ken Shamrock's injury because Farouk had injured the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. It was supposed to be Shamrock aligning himself with Hawk and Animal, 
to face the nation of domination. LOD would go two on three opposite the nation. Uh, and I, I really admired the Road Warriors, Legion of Doom, however you want to phrase this tandem. Uh, these guys were smash mouth, in your face, intense, the way they had to work the matches, but they are legends. It's so sad that we don't have uh, Brian Pillman, Hawk, or Animal, or both uh, have sadly passed away. And uh, it's hard to believe when going back watching a lot of these uh, pay-per-views or various uh, shows, whether it be uh, WCW, the WWF then, World Wrestling Entertainment Now, and uh, ECW, the Territories, NWA, I mean, you name it. Uh, very remarkable, uh, to say the least. And getting back to the match, uh, Farouk was not involved till the end. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, as I tend to do. I actually tried to write up some notes. That you'll hear me say sometimes I'll top them up. But Hawk and Animal, this was a much-needed restart as far as I was concerned. Rocky was still progressing. That would be The Rock, the most electrifying man in all of sports entertainment, wrestling, however you want to term it. And Hollywood, Tinseltown, would be The Rock. It all entails. Ahmed Johnson got forced out of the nation. So a lot of interesting dynamics with the storyline. One could also note that D'Lo Brown was going through a similar progression. You could see the talent, another blue chipper. I love how Jim Ross always stated that, added the sports feel to his broadcasting, his commentary. One of my heroes that when pursuing commentary has got to be Jim Ross. I think for a lot of people, he is. I think it's safe to say. And it was a wrestling maturation uh, relating to maturity with D'Lo Brown and Rocky. Kama Mustafa, who was Papa Shango, he would soon be the godfather, posed a legit threat to LOD. You could see these guys matching up in real life in a bar fight or out in the streets. I mean, you could tell all of these guys were men. And they, they meant business. They were tough, not only coming from athletic backgrounds. I think LOD were bouncers in Minnesota, even though they were built from Chicago, because learning this uh, via so many of the uh, programs that discuss it and dive into the history of wrestling. And, and, and as a wrestling uh, aficionado and also history buff, that's what I meant to say, but I, I guess it, I hope that, that statement was sensible. Uh, that's what drew me into professional wrestling, the soap opera aspects, but also the story that was told in the ring as it was relayed uh, between the ropes and the squared circle. Three became overwhelming, as you might imagine, three against two. When uh, speaking of this match between Animal and Hawk, Kama Mustafa, D'Lo Brown, and The Rock, he was known as Rocky here. It was the nation taking on the Legion of Doom. Farouk interferes. I told you that was going to happen sooner than later. You just knew it. You felt it coming on. Rock hits the rock bottom on Hawk, and it's the nation who would defeat the Legion of Doom. I thought it was a solid, uh, physical, intense battle and uh, a good way to open up the show for Bad Blood in Your House, 1997. Doc Hendricks. And Sonny promote the uh, Superstar Hotline. That's a segment that follows the opening match. McMahon announced Pillman's death. He reminds us again he was supposed to face Dude Love. Think about how epic of a matchup Dude Love and Brian Pillman would have had. Uh, sadly and unfortunately, of course, Pillman uh, passes away. We get a tag team match, a special attraction match indeed, uh, featuring the minis, Max Mini. In fact, in Nova, defeat uh, Mosaic and uh, Tarantula. 
I hope I'm getting these uh, said correctly. We see uh, the minis compete all for our athletic. King uh, insults Max Mini after he gets press slammed onto the broadcast table. Leave it to Jerry Lawler to uh, make fun of these uh, little uh, athletes. I'll just uh, put it in such a way. There's not much to say. I, I think what happens is, uh, you know, uh, Max Mini and Nova won the match against Mosaic and Tarantula. It, it was for the attractive appeal of being entertaining. and uh, But these guys can move. I'll tell you, I, I was envious. And I, I'm vertically challenged myself. But the, these guys would have made me look like Andre. I mean, if that uh, tells you something. And I, I say that with all due respect to them. I think they were out of Mexico originally. And next, we get the WWF Tag Team Championship match. The Godwins defeated the Headbangers, winning the titles away from uh, the Headbangers. To add some context, Sunny served as a guest ring announcer. I'm not going to get into uh, what she's going through right now, and I didn't mean to even laugh, but it's just uh, it's a wild time going back reviewing these uh, when you see a lot of what's occurred in the future or what was uh awaiting them, uh, per se. But Henry and Phineas, I enjoyed the hillbilly gimmick. Uh, we saw that all throughout the, the territories, and including the Northeast. Mosh and Thrasher were exciting in the ring, loved the whole rock gimmick, and watch out for Uncle Cletus. Hillbilly Jim uh, originally was walking out with, uh, or accompanying maybe the proper terminology regarding Phineas and Henry Godwin, and uh, we got Uncle Cletus later on. This defies Two unique styles. Uh, certainly, the headbangers used high risk versus brawling. Interesting hearing Lawler accuse Vince of not liking the Southern stereotype. Uh, Phineas pins Mosh, I think, because I, I got to admit, a lot's going on even watching it. And I can easily be distracted, I think, like we all can. I can only speak for me, though. The Godwins are the new WWF Tag Team Champions, and they go on to attack the Headbangers afterwards to further the angle, this whole story, the the feud, essentially, between themselves and the Headbangers, does the Godwins. And uh, moving on, pardon me if you hear some movement. I, I told you I typed down some notes. I've got a few pages. We see a video package showing the carnage from Stone Cold Steve Austin. He stuns everybody. It sets the early stages regarding Stone Cold against Vince McMahon. Owen is tired of hearing about Austin. Remember Austin and Owen Hart? I, I can't remember if this is when Owen accidentally dropped Austin on his head, thus the neck injury, the severity of it, when he did the uh, pal driver. And I forget the pay-per-view now. That's why I need your help in the comments. Uh, I need a refresher course, a reminder, if you will. But anyways, they were feuding during this uh, time frame. Austin has the Intercontinental title. What happens is he's going to present it to whoever wins the Intercontinental title. It was vacant in the stipulation for the match. We're going to see Owen Hart wrestle Farouk for the vacated IC belt, the Intercontinental title. I'll just go ahead and be a little repetitive to get the point across so you understand, because I have to comprehend it, to be honest. Jim Ross honors the wrestling legends before we get to the match in St. Louis, Missouri. That was a historic wrestling territory and not only sports town, but concerning pro wrestling with the National Wrestling Alliance, NWA. They still run uh, their events like NWA 75 at the Chase. That's why you'll get a little correlation with the uh, old school and modern 
presentations of wrestling. Uh, listen to the, this list and names. Gene Kanetsky, Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk Jr., Harley Race, and the uh, late, great Terry Funk, who recently passed away. We all know that Harley Race passed. I think Kanetsky may have Jack Briscoe. Uh, I think sh for sure had uh, passed away. Sam Mushnick was the famed promoter in Luthez. I think they all have uh, sadly departed. And Doc Hendricks interviews Farouk and McMahon updates us on Pillman. I, I like how they're they're trying to provide the information they can about Pillman's uh, passing here. And going back to the the wrestling the wrestling legends. Uh, Jim Ross, I, I thought it was very notable for them to honor and show respect. It it was a testament to the class of the organization to bring all these uh, legendary, iconic uh, figures when we are uh, talking about professional wrestling. And uh, you can call it sports entertainment. I, I know that's a McMahonism, but I, I do think Vince, down deep inside, was a fan of all these guys. I mean, we would see them work and pass through when he expanded. And even for his father, you forget a lot of them would work for uh, Vince Sr. as well as Jr. Farouk versus Owen for that vacant intercontinental title. Here we go. Stone Cold enters. As soon as the music hits, what a pop. Uh, we talked about the Legion of Doom, that Road Warrior pop. What about Austin's, uh, the reaction he got from the crowd Hey, and there was signs everywhere. It wasn't just uh, for college game day. I mean, wrestling was getting in that mode with the Attitude Era. We were starting to see, the, like I said, the early stages. I'll just have to go back to those uh, two words there. I mean, it was crazy to see all the signs, but very cool at the same time. It took me back to my uh, fandom for a little bit. Owen wears a shirt mocking Austin like Stone Cold. You would see the Austin 316. I think it was Owen 316. I I'm trying to recall. Forgive me. Uh, Stone Cold took over commentary I thought was tremendous and sits by Sergeant Slaughter at first and I think eventually annoys McMahon and, and Jerry the King Lawler. Then uh, over at the Spanish announced table, Tito Santana, and then over at the French table where they're doing French commentary. It was uh, hilarious what Austin was able to do and, and get away with as a character, but that's what made it work uh, when mentioning Stone Cold Steve Austin. And showing his popularity, certainly. And Farouk utilized power the nation leader controlled early were some of the notes I, I, I jot down, I, I wrote down, it's just trying to sound fancy, uh, with uh, the whole writing process. Owen oh, technically superior. I think everybody can surmise that he would be over Farouk, taking nothing away from uh, Farouk at all. It's just the, the story they were betraying, and, and I think it's pretty obvious with the scientific knowledge that the Hart family has, whether it's Brad Owen, Stu, all the uh, siblings. And Farouk would begin dominating certain points of the match. Owen took advantage of a costly mistake, however. And uh, Jim the Anvil Nonhart comes out to uh, interfere. It, it seemed Austin nailed Farouk via the Intercontinental title belt. Remember, he's the one to present it to whoever, whoever wins. And that was confusing. And even... Vince McMahon and J.R., Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler were demonstrating this via the uh, the commentary. So he helped Owen Hart win the vacant Intercontinental title, and it'll set up, I'm sure, Owen versus Stone Cold Steve Austin down the road. I thought it was a phenomenal match, and 
Hey, respect AJ Styles, but it is phenomenal, this match uh, between Owen and Farouk. And it's such a big supporter of both these these men, Farouk and especially Owen Hart. Another one uh, gone way too soon. When speaking of the King of Hearts and the Slammy Award winner as he was carrying the trophy uh, when mentioning Owen Hart. Next match, we get a six-man tag team. It may have even been an eight-man tag team match. My goodness, there was so much going on here. Uh, the Disciples of Apocalypse, Eight Ball Chains, Crush and Skull, defeated Los Bariquas, Jesus Castillo Jr., Jose Estrada Jr. There's a lot of juniors here, Miguel Perez Jr. and Savio Vega. Footage showed the Hart Foundation attacking Vader and Patriot. We got a lot of this before the matchup, so I, I probably should have waited to write down some of these results. However, these are some massive men. When talking about the DOA, the Disciples of Apocalypse, uh, for me, Savio Vega obviously stood out regarding his talent. Crush hits a backbreaker, attaining the victory. And if you'll hear the pages turn, because, yeah, there we go. That that shows you I'm going back to school right there. Is that not proof? Michael Cole interviews Brett and the British Bulldog. Brett Harden, the British Bulldog, won this flag match versus Vader and the Patriot, it can end circa a pinfall by capturing the flag. Doc Hendricks interviews Patriot and Vader. Before Kurt Angle had his famed theme music, the Patriot, Dale Wilkes, used it. They brawl. You see Vader fight. Brett was cool. Bulldog fighting Patriot also was compelling. Before the bell even rang or rung, uh, I need Grammarly for my speech, not only to help tie notes. Brett is the champion of the World Wrestling Federation. The match starts. I like the Patriot. I, I liked him back in WCW when he teamed with uh, Marcus Alexander. You know him as Buff Bagwell. And here in the uh, WWF, Vader intimidated with aggressive intensity. As always, the hitman relying on technical methods. Bulldog battling Patriot presented a singles matchup that I wanted to see. It made a lot of sense. In other words, Brett focused on the previous damage that the Hart Foundation inflicted. That's what I liked. They enforce what we saw in the video packages and what was related to the story in the ring and outside of the squared circle. Patriot reverse Hart's sharpshooter was a monumental moment to me. Maybe monumental's uh, going a little or a bit far. Let me try to uh, correct myself. Brett lifted Vader, which was impressive. Vader was uh, probably his heaviest here, I uh, uh, imagine. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on it. Hart levels Vader with a ring bell. It was the wood off the where the ring bell sat. A fan came in. Brett pins Patriot, and the Americans uh, go after the Hart Foundation. But in the end, it was going to be the Hart Foundation to be victorious. This was the heel Brett Hart and and. The British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, I, I like the kind of anti-American sentiment when done with tact. And, and this is what kind of gave Brett that edge, that attitude. Once again, shout out to the Rated Art Superstar Edge. It had me on the edge of my seat, this whole match. There you go. Thanks, Kenny Omega. You didn't think you'd get those references in this review. I got news for you. Main event time, Hell in a Cell, determines the number one contender for the upcoming Survivor Series. So a lot is getting built toward Survivor Series next month in November as this pay-per-view happened in October. The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. We mentioned the conflict that it was Shawn Michaels targeting the dead man, the phenom, the Undertaker. What an impressive structure as you visualize. It's not just a cage. It's Hell in a Cell. It's got the, the top over it. That's what makes it unique and different. Doc Hendricks interviews HBK, the European champion. 
even though it's not on the line from what I understand during this matchup. Michaels began turning on the fans, Triple H and China, with the insurance policy Rick Rude were flanking HBK. Lights fade as thunder rolls, and behold the phenom. Always just a thrilling entrance when you're talking about the Undertaker. Michaels must run. Taker exudes command. HBK attempts certain offense until this dead man continues punishing his opponent, meaning Michaels. Michael's elevation per back body drop was astonishing. It doesn't take long for the cell to be an assistant in such a war. Undertaker manhandles his adversary, and each try by Michael's results in additional pain. Because Michael's would have his certain flurries of offense. Here comes HBK, and he uses the cell. Remember, it assists as both could make it their own weapon during this Hell in a Cell matchup. He did damage HBK. Beats up a cameraman. I thought that was a fascinating uh, twist. And they helped the cameraman out. Michaels hit a super kick only for Taker to rise up. And both would fight outside the cell. Undertaker and Michaels eventually take the fight up top of the cell. HBK falls through a table. And we saw one of the first ever bumps pre-McFoley, Mankind, when uh, Taker and uh, Mankind had their famous Hell in a Cell matchup. Taker discovers a chain. Well, both, uh, actually, Michaels is bleeding. Both return into the cell. I got ahead of myself. Not surprised at all. Taker discovers a chain, and it seemed like Undertaker had the match won. Lights fade. I didn't want to give it away. Paul Bearer appears with Kane. It's got to be Kane, as Vince McMahon relayed on commentary. Kane would interrupt the door off the hinges of the Hell in a Cell and confront his storyline brother the undertaker and deliver a tombstone costing his brother the undertaker the match against Shawn michaels and it would be michaels depending hbk wins thus being able to challenge bret hart for the wwf world heavyweight championship china and hunter hurst helmsley triple h assist hbk to the back people are amazed i mean they are really selling but I didn't want to give it away. It's the debut of Kane. I actually had a photo op with the Big Red Machine, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. He is a big man. Literally, I'm, I'm looking up at him. He, he couldn't have been nicer, but I was afraid he was about to deliver a tombstone. I'm kidding. Nice guy. Wouldn't want to get on his bad side. And obviously, The Undertaker did during 1997. And with Paul Bear, oh, yes, it's Kane, my son. Oh, yes. And you will rest in peace, Undertaker. And hey, it's kind of around Halloween as I'm recording the episode. I couldn't help it. I, I've tried to come down on the Paul Bear impersonations, but it makes sense. Love Bill Moody, Percy Pringle. He is just tremendous. So I, I do it out of respect and love for him. I'm such a fan. And I'm a big supporter of Undertaker. Like Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, there was so many just all inspiring talents and uh, a lot of sad news, unfortunately, with Brian Pillman. But to see the legends honored, to see Terry Funk, to see everybody get their just due, to hear good old Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. And even though I like the combination of them just as a pair to, to add Vince, Vince McMahon was underrated doing uh, a lot of the calls for the WWF. Now it's World Wrestling Entertainment. But this has been Tyler's Takedowns. You can find the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
through the SJP World Media Podcasting Network, but I reviewed Bad Blood in Your House from 1997 that featured the first ever inaugural Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, and we saw the debut of Kane. It was in St. Louis, Missouri at the Kill Center, and uh, boy, I'm still turning pages. Making sure, yeah, bad blood in your house. I got it right, 1997, from October the 5th of 1997. You're going to hear a lot of pages, but that'll do it. I'll uh, give some more shout-outs to some other podcasts. I'm starting to run out of time here, but I'm your host, Tyler Peters. I hope you've enjoyed it. I actually tried to do some real homework. I know typing is some real preparation, but there's nothing like just a good uh, pencil or pen writing down some of my thoughts. And there you have it. And uh, this has been Episode 9 of Tyler's Takedowns.